Hey, I'm Kim Short, and it's time to get your podcast on. Welcome to What Led Her Here, exploring the defining experiences of women's lives. My guest today is the creative and resilient Raina Krangle. Raina is an award-winning folk singer and songwriter, elementary school teacher, and traumatic brain injury survivor. Raina's journey to healing inspired her latest album, Headbangers, a musical recovery from mild traumatic brain injury. I'm thrilled to have her here today to share her beautiful story. Welcome, Raina. Thank you for having me. For those who may not be familiar, can you tell us what traumatic brain injury is? Well, I want to say that mild traumatic brain injury is different than a moderate or severe, but it's not any less severe in a way. So it's it's kind of a misnomer when they say mild traumatic brain injury. But um, a traumatic brain injury is there's two kinds. There's one that you can have from an actual impact to the head directly, or you can have one that is induced at the time of injury. So sometimes even falls can cause concussions, even though you don't actually hit your head. You can have a delayed concussion after that. So tell me, when you sustained your brain injury, everything, I know you said came to a sudden halt, your teaching career, your music. So can you take us back to that really pivotal time in your life when you realized the impact that that would have on you? Well, it's interesting. I I don't think I actually realized at that time the impact it was going to have on me because you're person A and then you get hit with something and then you feel the physical change, but you don't realize what those limitations are going to, how they're going to play out for you. And I mean, for everybody, it's completely different. So I can just speak to how it played out for me. But you know, you're still in the mindset of I can do everything you know, who you're who you were before. And so the person that I was before was somebody who was go, go, go. I would, I, you know, had a very full career teaching and I was playing music and performing on my own and with a band and I was kind of on a roll with that. So, you know, I would sometimes be burning the candle at both ends and, um, and loving it and, and having all that energy. That's just the way that I was. But then when this happened, the effects sort of happened a couple of days later. It all kind of came to a halt and I couldn't get up the stairs without being out of breath. I couldn't shower. I I really couldn't move at all without massive pounding of my head. Any kind of movement would, would cause that. So, you know, that's sort of the brain swelling, as I learned later. And as it heals, you sort of, you know, everybody's going to heal in a different way. So as it heals, you, you think somewhat that you're that person from before, and you're going to do what you were doing before. And then you try something, it's sort of like trial and error. And then you realize, oh, my God, I'm feeling really nauseous, or my head's pounding, I can't do this, I need to sit down, I feel sick. And so that is how it sort of played out for me. And it was really hard because my mind is still telling me that I want to keep doing everything I was doing. But my body was saying, no, you're not. You're not going to be doing that. So, yeah, things came to a halt. I couldn't teach. I mean, I couldn't barely get dressed or shower. Or going to grocery stores was hard. Everything was really difficult. And it was frustrating because you're in this conflict with yourself, you know, that you can't do all those things that you 
want to do and you you don't want to accept it but you have to so things came to a halt with teaching and you know I, I had um I had to be off at that time and for a while actually and I remember somebody saying to me can you still play music and I thought of course like I didn't forget how to play music like but I hadn't actually tried yet so I I picked up my guitar and light and noise was terrible for me I couldn't stand any noise or light all the shades on a sunny day like all my blinds were drawn like I couldn't handle any of that at that time so but I had my guitar out and I I picked it up and I I was just so chilled and slow like it actually slowed my walking down everything down and so I picked up the guitar and I didn't dream for a second to strum it like I normally would, but I I finger picked the guitar really quietly and lightly. And in that moment, um, I I think I only played for two minutes, but in that moment, your mind is very emotional too at this time. So there was just so much um, going on other than the physical as well that I I just felt this like divine kind of intervention in a way and and the flow just opened up and in that two minutes I wrote a song the words and the music so oh wow it was very very different from how I normally write and after that two minutes it was like this burst came out and then I was exhausted and that was it for the day (laughs) but I was happy to play and so it was like a mixture of feelings that like I can play and music feels so good because it always does to me and but then I can't play for very long and that was frustrating and hard too and um you know there was pressure in my head you know on the forehead every time I would if I would sing a certain um pitch so I couldn't sing high notes for a while so that was really frustrating too so that's sort of how everything kind of came to a halt. It was like, wow, I have to recognize that I have some limits here all of a sudden that I've never experienced before in this way. Yeah, it was it was challenging. So for someone who, like you said, was go, 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 and then to all of a sudden have to slow down and no matter what you wanted to do, your body was like, nope, I'm going to stop you in your track. So how did you manage that? Like through the healing, through your recovery, how did that factor in? It was really challenging. Um, I had been a single parent since I was 29. So I had gone back to school to become a teacher. I was a single parent raising a child with special needs. And so I was constantly go, 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 and always having to just stay positive and keep going. And I didn't have time to sit back and reflect on anything, really. I I just kept going and I was and I was happy, you know, I mean, it was hard at the beginning, but I was I was happy with the life I'd carved out for myself. But I think I didn't really have the time to sit back and reflect. Wow, look what you've accomplished. Look where you've got yourself to from all of that and and also the trauma from all of it, too. So I think in that time, because your mind is also messed up, <laughs> you get more emotional and I'll get emotional just thinking about it. Sorry. It's OK. But, um, you get in this state where you reflect on everything and you you sort of have pregnant brain from the trauma, actually. And so 
I mean, now I'm crying for a reason because I'm talking about it. But back then it was like, I would just cry for no reason sometimes. Um, and so a lot of people with concussions do experience that. Um, yeah, I think it stopped me in my tracks in the sense that I had time to reflect on that. And I had to sit in the stillness and I couldn't keep going. I think maybe, um, oh God, I didn't expect this to happen. <laughs> That's okay. You know what? All emotions are welcome here. So do not apologize. I think, uh, you know, sitting in that stillness obviously brought up a lot of emotions too. So, and so, so began the healing basically. So there was healing emotionally and there was healing physically as well. And I, I'm a very positive person. That's just sort of my nature anyway. So I had a positive outlook. There wasn't, there, there wasn't really a time where I thought I'm not going to get better. Um, I know some people with concussions don't get better and certainly I'm not a hundred percent better, but I'm way better than I was back then. So I, I just sort of had a positive outlook that it would get better, but I, I thought it would get better in three weeks and <laughs> it certainly took a lot longer. So that long haul part was, was a difficult journey, but it also, it got me into listening to podcasts and I found Change Your Brain, Change Your Life, Daniela Amen, and I found um, Binaural Beats, which really helped me. That kind of sound was just so calming to my head and would calm the pounding at the time. So I listened to a lot of podcasts. I did some painting, like I have this um, little Buddha thing that I got and uh, you just add water. And so I would make it part of my day to paint a little bit each day. And then I had these um, cards that I had bought when I went out to BC, one of my favorite travel destinations. And each of these cards has a great saying. And so I would make it point to pull out one of these cards every day. Um, align your actions with your intentions. Live a deeply authentic life. So oh, I, mean, I like every that card, one. Yeah, it's a good one. There, there are so many good ones. So every day, you know, I would try to give myself some kinds of positive affirmations to get through the stillness. I think once the initial stillness and me sort of having that pivotal moment reflecting on how far I'd come in my life and the, the traumas I'd experienced or the, the challenges um, and how I had worked through that. And I think at that point, um, I started to get more comfortable with the self-care and being still and making sure I would get out for walks every day. There's a gorgeous conservation right near me. And so I've always loved nature. I had many years at camp, at summer camps. And so I've always loved being in nature and canoe trips and that kind of thing. So I went to this park every day and every day I would notice so many things. So it really was the epitome of a mindful walk. Uh, I would notice the changing of the seasons. And there, at this time, this was before COVID. So there weren't a lot of people in the parks, right? And I would walk slow. Like I was usually a fast walker because I always had to keep up with my dad. So uh, I was walking slow at this point and just trying a little bit each day, a little bit more and and being comfortable with where I was at that moment. That was important. And then I started having a lot of really kind of strange, vivid dreams, especially at the beginning. I had dreams of sort of natural disasters. I think I, I mentioned one one of the first dreams that I had 
that I heard another woman on a podcast say she had the same dream from a concussion, which I thought was so strange and interesting. But it was that I was in this warm, murky water and I had lost my ship and it was very calm water and the moonlight was out and it was a very calming kind of dream. But I had lost my ship and uh, it was like almost like a big pirate ship that I saw. And then after that, I had a dream about an earthquake and a tornado and just sort of weird things, because as you close your eyes to sleep, like I had all these sort of it was almost like computer glitches over my eyes that I would sort of see and things were twitching. And it's so strange when it's, you know, an injury in your head. So I had a lot of those dreams, but then I had some really wonderful dreams where I had music come to me in my dreams and I had Joni Mitchell come to me in my dream (laughs) and and sort of those pivotal moments made me feel more positive and to understand that music was my way through this. Yes. So I know you said the first song that you wrote came to you suddenly and fast and two minutes you had this thing that you had created. So how did the rest of the album come to be? They were all inspired by different things. My son once uh, sent me a meme that said, your mind is like a parachute, keep it open. And my first instrument was piano, but um, the guitar was kind of hurting my head a bit more. For something, it was maybe the vibrations, those particular notes or the pitch of it, it irritated my head a little bit more. So I started playing the piano and the piano just seemed so calming and relaxing to me. And so it was around that time he'd sent me that meme and I wrote a song called Parachute, which is kind of about the mind healing and getting better and just having goals in sight that you're going to get better. So that was the next song, basically, inspired by that meme. And then I saw another movie. This was a bit later on. It was called The Crossroads. It was Albert Johnson, the blues artist. And I didn't know much about him, surprisingly, like I should have, but what an amazing story that was. And so that kind of inspired another song that I called um, To Find Greatness. And and it was sort of a feeling that I felt, too, that I was kind of at this crossroads of like, you know, how am I going to recover? Will I recover? Will I continue in the journey of the career that I'm in? will I be able to? And so it sort of became that, but also to find the strength within yourself. So that song sort of was about finding the greatness in yourself to carry on. And then the, the last single that I released, my beautiful dear, that's a very dear story to my heart. And uh, that, that song did come to me in a dream. But before I tell that dream, I kind of want to tell you this, this one about Joni Mitchell, because this one is sort of pivotal, too, because it kind of opened the floodgates for more songs and and for me to understand that really music is going to be my way through healing. Because I had I had gone to um, the Royal Conservatory and I had taken educator workshops on music in the brain. So I, I knew as an educator that music can heal, it can help students learn English, like I'd used it in my classrooms and it helped students come out of their shell. And so I knew that music affected the brain. And in that workshop, I learned about how the neoplasticity of the brain and when you play an instrument, you're actually using both parts of your brain. So you will make those neural connections very strong. 
So I knew from that workshop and my own experience as a musician for years that it's going to help. So then I had this dream that um, Joni Mitchell visited me, which is kind of funny because uh, I've, I've always sang the song Big Yellow Taxi. Uh, I did a cover of it when I was in my 20s that I recorded, and I was actually thinking to release that song as the single. However, I ended up using that song with the um, with my students that particular year. I was teaching a grade one class and the CBC Music Challenge, they let you know what songs you can pick from. And that year it was Big Yellow Taxi. And I was like, yeah, we're doing it. So we entered that song. I worked with the kids. Um, they sang and memorized these four verses and learned what a boutique was. And these were grade one students who don't, they, you know, English wasn't their first language, a lot of them. So they worked so hard with their reading buddies and it was a wonderful project we did and recorded and entered for the CBC Music Challenge. And we came in the top 10, which was incredible because there were thousands of submissions from schools all across Canada. So that was just such an, a wonderful experience. And then, boom, this accident happens. I have to leave that wonderful grade one class. And so then Joni Mitchell comes to me in a dream. And it's kind of funny. I'm I'm in a pool and she's lying on a pool bed and I'm at the end and I'm looking up at her and she's just lounging and, and uh, I, I sing a song to her, um, another song that I had, I had written a new one that year called Track of You. And she says, well, sing it like you mean it. And I don't know if you've heard any interviews with Joni Mitchell, but she's so non, no nonsense and blunt and honest and um, just I love how she delivers her so it was kind of like that and uh, and then I sang it again and and she said that's better and then I was supposed to go maybe open for her or something I don't know what happened that was the end of the dream and then I wake up and I was like oh Joni Mitchell that was amazing like I just had this real positive sense over me from that and uh and then I got an email from Spotify saying, oh, today is the 50th anniversary of Joni Mitchell's album, Clouds. And I was like, what? I just dreamt about her and then that happens. Like there was so much serendipity through this healing as well. So uh, and then I go to my albums. I have a, quite a large album collection from my parents and I put on the album Clouds. I'm pretty sure I have it. I put it on. I've got my candles lit, the you know no light on and i'm just listening to clouds and the first song on it is chelsea morning which is a song that i used to sing constantly to practice in my 20s my vocals because i had trouble switching to falsetto when you go from a high a low to a high so i would practice with that song all the time and i knew it and memorized it and of course, at that time, I didn't know all the words because my brain was in a terrible state. But I I listened to the song and I started kind of singing along and, and remembering it. And it was just a positive experience. Yeah. And so that sort of fueled my recovery to know to use music to help me because I felt better when I was being authentic to myself. And so when this other dream happened, it was a similar experience, but the melody came to me. So it was very vivid. It was like a Jeff Bridges guy from the, you know, the dude from the Big Lebowski. 
standing under a tree playing guitar and this beautiful melody came and I woke up and only remembered the last two lines. Don't you leave me behind. I can't live without you. And in the dream, I was bawling. Like, it was so emotional. I just quickly put it in my voice notes, half asleep. And it just stayed with me all day. All day, you know, I wasn't doing much, but going for a walk maybe. And so all day I had this thought and I remembered the melody and I thought, okay, I'm going to try the guitar again. I'm just going to try and and do a little music therapy today. And so I played a little bit and um, started writing. I knew it was a love song and what other love song did I know to write about, but my parents who celebrated 46 years together. So and luckily are both still with us. So there's a little bit of a fib in that song, but <laughs> that comes from the dream. And uh, and I wrote this song and uh, I had really vivid memories from my childhood. Uh, my dad played guitar, my mom sang as well. So I came from a very musical family and they would sing Bruce Coburn's song, All the Diamonds, when I was a kid for story time. Instead of instead of story time, it was sing song time at bedtime. So it was and it was a tradition I carried on with my son, too. So I thought all the diamonds in the world, wouldn't it be cool if I could get that into the actual song? And so I did. I wrote it and it fit in perfectly. And I was like, oh, wow, that's amazing. Like just great how it just all came together and again it you know gives you that feeling of positivity that you're doing something because you feel like you're doing nothing when you can't do much <laughs> so it was nice to sort of have like kind of um a finished product of something and then i happened to know somebody you know in the music business and i asked him i said do you think i need to ask for permission from bruce coburn if i use that line and he said well if you're if you're just gonna say it it's okay i said well actually i'm singing it and he said well you might want to ask so i happened to have met bruce coburn's manager through another friend years ago so i reached out to him and i asked him and he said well we need to hear the song I was like, what? <laughs> so it just kind of fueled um, an excitement in me too, but something to sort of look forward to and do. And so I reached out to my friends that I re- recorded with before and I said, we need to record this song. Bruce Coburn wants to hear it. <laughs> so Although I did write the guitar music for it, I had my friend who's a much better guitar player do the finger picking for it. So he recorded his part and um, I came in and just did the vocal. And when I and these are people I've recorded with for 25 years, in fact, had recorded Big Yellow Taxi with them years ago. So I went in and I started singing the first line and I just burst into tears because this whole song was so emotional for me because I had the emotion from the dream in myself through this whole process, I guess. And I was in that state where you're much more emotional. So they, of course, didn't expect that. And then uh, we tried another take and I did one take and that was it. Nice. Um, And it was just done and I just listened to it in my car again and again and again and I was just so excited about it and couldn't wait to send it to Bruce Coburn to see and 
it just kind of spiraled into this amazing experience for me as well. And uh, so what did Bruce think of it? So it took a while, but he finally replied and he said he they thought it was wonderful and good luck with the song and you have our permission. So and then the other interesting thing was I had decided that I would release the song on my birthday. And this was in March. And uh, just because I figured, well, I'll never forget the release date for it. So I had also seen there was a poster for a show that was also on that day that I was going to go to, maybe because it was a, a small acoustic show and it was a tribute to Bruce Coburn. It was called All the Diamonds, the poster. And the date of it was actually on my birthday. So more serendipity. <laughs> yeah, like they didn't know I was releasing it then. And so it was, uh, and then of course, COVID happened and everything shut down. And I had somebody say, you know, I don't think you should release that song. Everybody's too overwhelmed with what's going on because this is when everybody was flooded with these emails. And I said, well, it's too late. I've already picked the date. It's happening. So I I released it and, and did Facebook Live and and it was the perfect time to release it, I felt. And it made me hopeful through everything I went through. And I think it almost distracted me through what was happening with COVID at the beginning. And so a lot of the experiences I had with just having to slow down and be in the stillness in some strange way kind of prepared me for the stillness that we are all experiencing with COVID because um, like people would say, well, aren't you bored? But I never got bored. I mean, there were always things that I would do to to keep busy. I never got bored, really. Yeah. But, yeah so um, tell me about those parallels between the slowdown that you experienced from your brain injury and the slowdown that the entire world was experiencing from COVID. I think everybody also you know, experienced this go, go, go culture that we have. Everybody's working hard and and all of a sudden, everybody had to slow down. And the other thing besides the slowdown is just that I had learned to be uncomfortable in the uncomfortable and uncomfortable in the unknown. You know, people would constantly ask me, well, what do the doctors say? When are you getting better? And it just used to drive me mad because it was so frustrating because I wish I knew the answers. But I didn't just like we don't know the answers about COVID and what's we, we don't have all the answers and every day it's changing. And so you sort of learn to get comfortable in your own skin and, and carving that uh, what kinds of things you want to fill your head with. Like right now, we could all fill our head with all the negative news and we can think that we're staying on top of things and being informed by watching all the news. But in the end, there's not a lot that we can do to change things, although everybody can play a part and can change the world, of course, because we each do things that matter and make a difference in our small worlds that can affect the big world. But a lot of things we don't have control over and we can't change. So if you're going to fill your head with the negative constantly all day with COVID or with not thinking positively about trying to recover in whatever you're trying to recover from, then that's not going to help you. Yeah, I think that's a really important point to to reiterate is that we have a choice and yeah. we can, you know, we can choose what we want to consume, how much we want to consume, right, in terms of like news and, and all that. 
And we can also choose our mindset, whether we're coming at it from a positive or a negative place. So obviously your positive mindset and your willingness to embrace that unknown and just like ride that wave set you up for success in your recovery journey. And obviously embracing also that power of music and creativity is Mm -hmm. incredible. And I love that this beautiful album came from obviously what was a huge struggle, but I, I love that this beautiful piece of art came from it. It's interesting. I I only now figured out sort of what you're saying and why why it really propelled me and helped me. I recently just came across Andrew Huberman, who's uh, I think he's a neurologist and he talks about the pursuit molecule. And I think because I was in pursuit of creating, whether consciously or unconsciously, I was just creating. And um, the pursuit of that goal really helped me with that recovery, too. And he talks about like when you're actually in pursuit, that you can actually change the neuroplasticity of your brain. But it's not just changing, but it's also creating all that positive feeling and that will to live, you know, that will to keep going. And in my mind, it was like, I'm just going to fix it and it might I'm going to fix it with music. I'm going to get those neurons going and they're going to get back together somehow. And maybe it'll be different, but it'll be maybe it'll be better. Like I just I couldn't not think positively, but. You know, of course, there were days where it was hard and I had negative moments for sure. But he talks about how like the ability to change yourself is tied actually to the dopamine system. So I think playing music really actually created the dopamine and the happy feeling to be positive and to keep going. And then, you know, keeping up with your nutrition is really, really important when you've gone through a brain injury making sure you're hydrated and you're eating healthy foods, healthy fats are really important. You know, that's, that's what I learned. basically. Yeah. So tell me about the stigma that you've become aware of that you've experienced around this type of invisible injury. It certainly made me more compassionate too. When I think of other people, especially with social media, you know, I, I actually had put a post about this on my social media because, you know, you see me smiling. I was with the friend's dog and, oh, you know, you, you can see so much from a smile but you really can't that's the thing and that's just what the person looks like on the outside and you don't know what their struggles are on the inside so there is that stigma though especially around concussions I will say because 20 years ago you might have thought with concussions people are just sitting in a dark room doing nothing but that's actually not the protocol they want you up and moving around as soon as possible actually i mean you're you're definitely exhausted and tired at the very beginning and you're not going to be doing much but you're not confined to your bed is all i mean so i would go for a walk outside because that's my only happiness in the day to to get outside is the only thing i could do And if, you know, if you post a picture like that and you're smiling, people think you're fine and you're not. And so there is that stigma um, because you don't see it. And people mean well and they say things to mean well, like, oh, you look great. And it's like, well, I might look great on the outside, but I wish I felt as good as you're saying on the inside because my head's pounding right now and I can't wait to just lie down or I, I wish I could do you know, X, Y, Z things, but I can't right now. 
you have to recognize that it's okay to be where you are in that moment and go with that. But um, I had remembered a staff meeting. We talked about the spoon theory. And I think that that theory really ties in very well to sort of the idea of invisible disabilities. It was a TED talk by Olivia Larner and we learned it in a staff meeting and she talks about how, you know, let's say everybody starts off with 20 spoons for the day and you who didn't have a brain injury, doesn't have fibromyalgia, doesn't have chronic pain, doesn't have um, maybe a mental health condition, something that we can't see. You can go through five spoons by lunchtime and you've still got another 15 spoons ready for the rest of your day and you can finish your job you can get the groceries you can look after the kids you can work on your side business in the evening you can do all the things that you love to do and you'll use up your 20 spoons but somebody else in a different situation like a brain injury or fibromyalgia or any of those other things that we we can't see like i i found i was going through five to seven spoons just showering and getting dressed because i was exhausted after that and that might be all i would do that day <laughs> and then maybe later on i could maybe use five spoons and go for a walk so there's a it's similar to um, something that I got from the occupational therapist that I work with. It's called the Parkwood pacing point system. And I, I didn't think of things this way at first either. This system is specific more to people with brain injuries, but uh, it's kind of like a point system. So you get 10 points per day and how many points you might use in a day doing an interview, for example, or talking on the phone or getting groceries, all of those things. So I realized, you know, sometimes I was using too many and pushing myself too much because that's my nature. Yeah. And then with brain injuries, it's kind of weird because you you step forward and then you go backward two steps and then you might step forward and then you might go back three steps and you might step forward a little too much. And then, you know, a few days later, you're, you're or the next day you're going to feel it. Every day is so different and it's really hard to predict. I, I think people need to validate more instead of minimizing someone's experience. Like, oh, oh, we're all going through that now. Or, oh, oh, I get tired too. Oh, I get headaches too. It's not the same. Yeah. Well, I think, you know what, the, the spoon theory is a great way for people who don't have experience with this type of invisible injury or illness to try to understand and relate to the difference in the amount of energy and effort it takes as opposed to somebody who doesn't have this type of a thing. You know, trying to create that awareness and education around it is so important. So what are, you mentioned, there are some things that aren't helpful that people might say or do. What are some things that are helpful that would be valuable to you, for example, in terms of just supporting you and helping you through your recovery. If you know someone's had a brain injury, like a wonderful thing you can do to help is to help them get groceries because that was the hardest, most simple thing, but the hardest thing for me to do because it requires a lot of things of your brain, the eyes focusing, scanning through things, moving in different directions, 
uh, all the stimuli. It was really, really difficult to get the groceries. And I I didn't think to ask for help, to be honest, because I, I'm so used to doing it by myself. But I, I guess nowadays with the pandemic, you know, there's so many grocery store deliveries. But at that time, there weren't so many. So that's, well, you know, one way that you could offer to help somebody. And again, I think just validating what they're saying instead of minimizing it. And of course, talking quiet around them is really important, especially at the beginning. And just sort of showing up and letting people know you're there Mm. is really helpful because you do feel so isolated. Again, another way that it ties into the pandemic is you're isolated for so long because you can't do a lot of things and especially as a teacher to go back to a very high stimuli environment that's a very unique position to be in as well as a musician to just trying to be able to get back to both two very loud environments is a a huge challenge but to not lose your community that you have is important people might reach out at the beginning but then you know i know everybody gets busy and everything like that too but just you know, letting people know that you care is helpful because you do feel really isolated. Mm. And so then that can, of course, like all of us are talking about mental health right now, being isolated, being at home with COVID, like everybody's feeling it. So it kind of feels like that. That's interesting, the parallels and that you've been prepared in a way for this type of isolation and challenge by your brain injury. So now that you've had this opportunity to reflect, what is the life lesson that you'd like to share to inspire other women? If you could sort of boil it down into a couple of sentences, what is that life lesson you'd like to to share today? I would say that being still isn't so bad, you know, like be comfortable in that and reflective in that and find the soul within yourself. Be okay with who you are. And where you're at at that moment. Nice. You had said something before we pressed record that I thought was really beautiful and I'd love to share it. And that is everyone's best is different. Oh, yes. And I I really loved that. So I wanted to make sure to to (laughs) say that because I think that's a really good perspective to have. Yeah. And, it you know, it helps me also to understand my students. I am back teaching halftime right now. So I it helps me to understand my students and where they might be and to continue that compassion for, for them too. We're all just trying our best. Yeah. So tell me what is next for you? What excites you about the future? <laughs> this was one of those hard questions too. <laughs> <laughs> um, I do believe that the world is going to heal from what we're experiencing right now. Again, another parallel, I thought it'd be better in three weeks and it took a lot longer. And I think we thought this pandemic would be over in, you know, a couple of months and it's taken longer. But I think um, the future is bright. I think there are a lot of positive things that come out of difficult times. I've experienced it personally in my life, not just with concussions, but with other things. And, you know, we wouldn't know the good times if we didn't have some bad times either. And for me, I think obviously I'm going to continue with music and um, I don't think it's something I could ever stop. It does still hurt me when I sing sometimes. If I sing certain notes, I get pressure in my head, but 
I'll never stop singing. I'll never stop creating. So I'm still excited for all the new creations that are going to come and maybe different ways that I can share what I've learned with other people. So the future is unknown, but that's okay. Yes. Beautifully said. (laughs) So are you ready for the final five? Yes. So these are the same five questions I ask of every guest. And the first is, if you could have one superpower, what would it be? Well, I think I've always liked to fly. I've had one of those dreams once. And yeah, I think I would like to fly. That sounds really good. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. When you were a kid, what did you think you'd be when you grew up? Ironically, a singer. <laughs> well, then that worked out for you. <laughs> I kind of always thought of singing. I don't know. Oh, I love that. If it were your last day on earth, what would your final meal be? That is a very hard question, Kim. <laughs> but, and it might sound kind of boring, but it's gourmet. I think it would be a grilled cheese. <laughs> but I like grilled cheese with apple, a slice of apple and some maple syrup and cheddar, maybe. That Ooh, that sounds really good. Uh, there used to be a great grilled cheese place downtown Toronto. I can't remember what it was called. It, it closed long before COVID, but that gave me an idea for a gourmet grilled cheese. <laughs> That's a fancy one. I just had one recently with caramelized onions and Swiss cheese on sourdough bread. Oh, that it was good. so good. <laughs> sounds think, really good too. <laughs> yeah. My daughter made it for her hospitality and tourism class. And I was oh. like, oh, this is a keeper. So I'm <laughs> definitely on board with the grilled cheese. Yeah. <laughs> Who is a woman in history or present day you admire? I don't know why that is such a hard one for me to figure out. Honestly, I, I've been thinking about it for a long time and I I don't know. I, I don't know why it's so hard, but I mean, obviously I admire my mother, you know, that I would say my mother and my sister, you know, they are very um, dedicated and what they do and positive and say them. <laughs> oh, that's beautiful. I love that. And of course, we'll throw Joni Mitchell in there for good measure. Yeah, of course, Joni Mitchell. <laughs> yeah. I do admire her songwriting. Yes. For sure. <laughs> uh, last but not least, what is your favorite quote? And this one I had a hard time with too, until it actually serendipitously fell on me as I was doing some exercise. And I thought, well, this is definitely it. Without music, life would be flat. Oh, I love it. (laughs) That's good. But yes, no, it's cute. I really love it. And gosh, obviously, music has played such a huge role in your life and your recovery. So I think that is perfect. Thank you so much for being here today and sharing your story. I really appreciate it, Raina. Thank you so much for having me, Kim. It was really nice to chat with you. 